Okay, so before we get rolling here, I want to make something abundantly clear. Crystal clear. For me, this is a big episode, Sean. This is not just any other episode. This is a rivalry episode. We're going to treat it differently, and we're going to do things differently today. Because this week is different. I, I don't see the point. I think this week is like every other week. We've prepared the podcast like every other week. We've spent way too much time preparing the podcast like every other week. And I, I just think that even though it's Pitt, it's a big game. But hey, so are all the other ones. John, honestly, I can't even tell you how different this week is. It is incredibly different. So what I want to do is I want to be the lone spokesperson for this podcast. We're not going to have any mailbag access or questions, one voice, none of that. Because we need to be locked in, more so this week than other weeks. Because it's a big week. Have I told you it's a different week yet? I think you have. Okay. It doesn't matter what other people think. This is a rivalry episode. Well, what's going to happen next week when we have to prepare the podcast for Georgia State? Is that not a big week for us? Fair point. Okay, so I think we prepare and we go like every other week. Still a big week. Still still a rivalry episode. Well, and I think our sketch comedy portion is over. <laughs> Different preparation versus for a rivalry game versus a regular game. I, I can see it both ways, and, and Pat Narduzzi sees it one way. James Franklin sees it another. Uh, Franklin obviously likes to keep it even keel, not talk about it, and, and, and not mention the rivalry facet of it. But Narduzzi recognizes that this is Penn State Pitt. This is what a lot of people grew up with, and people still see Pitt as Penn State's main rival, even though they, they don't play every year uh, except for this four-year stretch. So I, I'm, I'm kind of on both sides of this, uh, and I think that's it's obviously the easy way out. But then again, I, I mean, it, it is a big game. It is. It is. A, it's huge. Yeah, I think I said that probably 10 times uh, at the outset. Sean Fitz, Andrew Callahan, as always, here in the Lions 24-7 podcast. Kickoff is tomorrow. We're going to get to the most important stuff, which is exactly what's going to happen Saturday, 3.30 kick inside of Beaver Stadium. Um, but but it has been an interesting contrast this week, and I think it's you know good to touch upon that first because I'm with you. I'm kind of down the middle. I don't think either one of their approaches is entirely correct but the bottom line is the most important conversations that are being held about this are inside the meeting rooms and inside the locker room which is going to be different from what they tell us it's not going to help talking about how big this rivalry is uh, to, to reporters to anybody else I mean from Penn State's viewpoint on this if you put in that tape from last year, that should be enough. I mean, that's going to oh, piss some, sure. that's going to piss some players off, and that's really what that that's really all the heat you need. I'd say. And I think honestly, too, not only are those conversations more important, um, but I think you you need to have similar messages going back and forth, which I'm sure inside the locker room, at least speaking for Penn State, they're saying yes, we're going to treat this like any other week. But to ignore the fact that there is additional noise, or just that there's nothing different about this week, I think it's smarter to acknowledge it. You know. Take care of it up front. Deal with it instead of letting any of it linger. Not to say that they are, but I think the kind of you know almost denial that th- there is an added emphasis or importance, whether it's recruiting, whether it is a just historic rivalry, you know, geographically, or it's really only Penn State's quality non-conference opponent this season. Like this will be a big win if they're able to pull it off. Yeah, absolutely. And I think uh, the the thing that gets me is is the alumni talk this up, and and not just the, the Penn State alumni base, but the the players. And you know Terry Smith, you know cornerbacks coach who played to Penn State, yep. you know he's talking about this because it's Pitt, and he's from he's a Pittsburgh guy, and there's a lot of Joe Pittsburgh guys. Yeah, Matt Limegrover, a lot of Pittsburgh. Pittsburgh guys on the staff, on this roster, on you know on the administrative staff as well. So I, I, you can't avoid it completely, 
but yeah, I mean, you don't want to over acknowledge it. And I think that's the, the approach that they've taken. Uh, and, and I think that's probably the right way to do it. Right. Cause again, like James's best point this week was what are we supposed to try harder next week? I mean, if I'm Pitt, you better lock in, which was the term that Narduzzi used for Oklahoma state next week, who put up 31 on you in the first half last year, the week following their win over Penn state. Yeah. And Georgia state is obviously a different, a different game. So they're not going to be up as much as they would for Pitt. I, and even though it's a night game and everything like that, yeah. but it, I mean, you can't ignore the opponent altogether. You know, no. it, it does matter. You're going to play up to Pitt. You're going to probably play a little bit down to Georgia State, and you got to get back on that horse again the following week and play up, play up against Iowa. Right. Treat your preparation fairly each week, but you can treat them differently. I think is acknowledging the circumstances of what we're getting to. Uh, but moving on, as I promised, the football content, the rundown for this episode. We've got tweet of the week. We've got quote of the week. Recruiting news. Who's going to be in town tomorrow? A couple of big names: 2018 and 2019, of course. Then we'll get into some game breakdown. When Penn State has the ball, when Pitt has the ball, what you need to know. And a new twist on our game preview. We're going to go 3-2-1, meaning we'll talk about three matchups, two concepts, get into some more kind of film room uh, elements there, and then one bold prediction from us before we get into the final score. And I think we will do a mailbag. Maybe we won't shut everyone out this week for the uh, podcast. Well, give the people what they want. You know? <laughs> it is a limited mailbag, though, because we have a lot of content uh, here this week. So leading off... Tweet of the week. This arrived early on, and it comes courtesy of Naeem Wartman. Uh, for folks who have not seen it, it went like this. Quote, this weekend, I hope Penn State put up 60 on Pitt. Seriously hate Pitt more than Temple, and I tore my ACL twice against them. That's that's pretty damning right there. <laughs> I mean, obviously, uh, you know, Wartman has a big history with Temple, and, and I just think, uh, well, first off, the responses to that were uh, mind blowing, really. Just uh, the, the the hate that he got from one side, the love that he got from another, and and I get it's a rivalry, but it's still just sports. But right, and man. we're up to two thousand fifty nine likes as of this reading. Yeah, that's that's pretty impressive for Naeem. But uh, yeah, I mean, he, he the, there is hate. I mean, he, you talk about the way that this game hasn't been played for so many years before last year, and but I mean, it's it's geographical. It's two and a half hours or four hours with Pittsburgh traffic sometimes. But yeah, I mean, it's it, it, it's something that is sort of ingrained and he's a Pennsylvania guy. He's from Philly played in Northeast PA. So mm-hmm. if you're a Pennsylvania kid and there's a lot of these, them on both rosters, it, it's going to be a big deal. And you know what? It's, it was a, it was a great tweet in and of itself. I mean, regardless of who's saying that, but I think it also speaks to the fact that he's on the team last year and he's saying that he hates Pitt. Like, Obviously, that week was different to him a year ago and is different to him now. So I think that probably is representative of a fair number of players in that locker room, given he was rubbing shoulders with them just last season. And it left a sore taste in a lot of people's mouth. And him being a senior to go out, his yeah. only time playing Pitt to lose, uh, yeah, you know that's a salty, uh, a salty spot for him. Quote of the week. This came from uh, one of the Pittsburgh guys we already mentioned. Uh, offensive line coach Matt Limegrover was on a media conference call on Thursday. We got to ask him about you know the first training camp experience for a lot of these linemen that you have coming in. They might be you know big bodies and, and capable, but you know th- that experience is so different from uh, high school. He said, "Quote for them, your head is always spinning and you're trying to breathe underwater through a straw." I'd say that's accurate. Yeah, I mean, and it's funny because these guys come in. Uh, Mike Mennick came in as a five star. Connor McGovern was a, an Army All American. Will Fry's high, highly thought of as well. These guys have come in, and you know they've they've done a couple things all their life, and it's, it's mostly just push guys around. So. Right. Coming in, starting at the bottom of the depth chart, and Penn State, you know, in the last couple of years, that's been uh, that's been something that they've had to improve upon. Is these guys were coming in a couple of years ago on the two deep right away, starting playing whatever. 
Now you work a little bit into that. McGovern, of course, had the extra spring to work with. So uh, it's a little different. But yeah, I mean, it, it's such a big step for these guys. And, and they don't know what's coming. I mean, yeah. Michael Mennett played in the Burks League. Um, you know, Will Fries, they won a state championship in Jersey. But, you know, it, it's it's still just a uh, just a complete leap for these guys. And, and to see them step in and, and work on schemes, which, you know, some, some high schools have very similar, uh, excuse me, very uh, basic schemes um, and some you know, ha- have worked up to being similar to college, the college level. But yeah, I mean, it's just such a big jump that the, the, uh, the wording is different. The communication with the guy beside you is different. Well, the Connor McGovern barely pass protected in high school, yeah, too, which exactly. we heard a couple of times this week from James. Yeah, and some of these places you don't need to. I mean, McGovern was right. a, a freaking beast in high school and, and just bowling over kids that are 200 pounds playing defensive tackle. So, um, you know, it, it, it's some of these guys are coached to uh, to go to the next level. Some of these guys are coached to win games So uh, at the high school level. So it's a big step for anyone. We're seeing the freshmen right now, and, and Ryan Buckholz brought up Des, Des Holmes yep. as a guy that has really given them a good look on scout team. Des Holmes is nowhere near ready to step on the game field, but he came in better than I think a lot of people, and I've talked to a lot of people in the program about Des Holmes. He came in better than people expected. I mean, he's a big guy. He's six five and a half, three twenty five, 325, uh, depending what time of the day you weigh him. Uh, but yeah, he he was looked to come in as maybe a little bit slower, a little bit less athletic, and and, and he's impressed some people so far. Very and, physical, I think, is what Ryan Buckholz was saying, which they need this week, of course, for Pitt. Absolutely, and and you look at Pitt's offensive tackles, and they've struggled at times, but at, at the same time, they're big guys. I yeah, mean, Brian O'Neill is yeah is to get around those guys. Brian O'Neill was the guy at Silesianum that was Troy Reader's teammate, and Penn State really didn't give much of a look to. Uh, he's a pretty good offensive tackle. Jared Jones Smith on the other side, a Philly kid. Um, you know, he struggled a little bit last week, but, and we'll get into that a little bit later, but yeah, I mean, you, you need big guys and, and Penn state all of a sudden has a scout team where you can stow those guys away and, and take a couple of years to, to develop. And I think that's, that's a great mark on where the program is right now compared to a couple of years ago. One last note before we transition to recruiting, obviously McGovern, uh, Will Fries, Michael Mennett, Alex Gellerstedt all coming in together. Uh, last year, McGovern was the only one to see action. So the first snaps for Gellerstedt, Mennett and Fries came against Akron, and we got to ask Lime Grover about those. Very happy with Fries and Mennett. You know, Fries a little bit further ahead because he had reps with you know the varsity squad essentially last year during the season when he was just you know an injury or two away from seeing the field. Mennett dealt with injuries, but he was still happy with him. And Gellerstedt's a little bit farther behind, but in Lime Grover's mind, he was telling us that basically, in terms of all four of them, the one who's made the biggest leap from where he was a year ago to where things stand now in early September, Gellerstedt is easily that guy and just in terms of how much weight he's added you know his development and now it's a matter of technique so he's happy with them uh great recruited class for them we know this one's pretty much wrapped up for 2018 but we have a couple visitors here that are coming on saturday before i get to that the 2016 recruiting class with the offensive line uh four guys came in four guys on the two deep right now that's that's pretty darn good yeah so uh and and that's you know nelson when he gets healthy he's ready to go yeah ways away from the field he is Far beyond, I think, where anybody had him a year ago because, I mean, he was struggling to move people in the run game. He's about 305 right now. He's a big guy. He, he was noticeably bigger this year than he was last year. So uh, that uh, 2016 offensive line class will really go a long way, especially when you get it with the guys in front of him, Ryan Bates, or in front of them, Ryan Bates and Steven Gonzalez are starters from the 2015 class. Zach Simpson's a walk-on from the 2015 class as a backup center. So these young offensive linemen, a lot of them uh, – you know, came in ready to go, came in at a higher floor than a lot of these guys. Some of them, Jenkins, Gellerstead, uh, still still working on developing. But mm-hmm. yeah, so far I think they've they've really hit and and to for Penn State to make the strides that they wanted to make and they they still need to make. 
that offensive lineman come together that quickly is is a shock, but it's a good it's a good surprise for James Franklin and the company. That reminds me, uh, Franklin had the runner up for quote of the week. Stephen Gonzalez quote one cheeseburger away from three sixty. Stephen Gonzalez is a big dude, man. I don't I don't know how many of our listeners have actually met him in person. Um, first off, a nice kid, uh, big yes. sort of big teddy bear. Man, he's got these big old hands. He's got a big head. He's just everything that Franklin has talked about in terms of growth potential. There's Stephen Gonzalez, and he's a barrel, man. I mean, you could uh, you could tap him. He's a big guy. <laughs> so uh, yeah, I mean, he's uh, he's just huge. And, and you look across there. Bates is not a huge guy, but he's I think he's your best. Moves really player. well. He moves so well. Gonzalez is a huge guy. McGovern's so much bigger than Brian Gaia. Brennan Mann, who I thought looked really good last he week, um, is 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 a guy that's always had size. And then Chaz Wright is is right up in that 350, 360 range, depending on what's for breakfast. So big offensive line, uh, big future for that offensive line as well. All right, recruiting. Future. That's a great segue. Uh, Penn State, a solid recruiting weekend on tap. Uh, the list is actually a little bit smaller than I thought it would be. Um, given it's pit, um, you know, given the, the the weather's expected to be nice, it's a three thirty kick. Still a solid list, and it's going to be centered on the twenty nineteen class. Uh, Brandon Smith is is a linebacker slash DN uh, that they've had up from Virginia several times at camp for them this summer. He was at the Lash Bash. He's been all over the place. Uh, I have a crystal ball pick in for Brandon Smith, and I like where Penn State stands. I think that Penn State's status. Uh, of being on the rise and winning has identified with a lot of 2019 guys. And I think Brandon Smith is one of those guys that, that has not only identified with the winning, but the family aspect. Every time I talk to Brandon Smith or his father, they bring up the family aspect. Uh, they've really sold that hard. Uh, Penn State in a great spot early. I don't think he's going to decide anytime soon. He's got a fantastic offer list. I think he, I just saw he picked up USC the other day. So he's going to get out and see some other schools, which some of these 2019 kids, you'd love for them to hop on board. But uh, let's be honest, they want to see some other games. They want to check out some other schools. And, and after what Penn State went through in the 2018 class, you'd like these guys to get out and maybe see a little bit more before pulling the trigger. So, right. Uh, a guy who's also been up to campus multiple times. Yeah, yeah. Smith has been on campus multiple times. Jordan Houston uh, will be back this weekend running back from Virginia, who Penn State targeted very early. I believe he was, he, the, Penn State was his first offer. DeMarco Hellams from DeMatha. I just put in a crystal ball pick for him. Penn State uh, likes him as a safety. Everybody else likes him as a receiver, but he's just a heck of an athlete. I think he's a next-level type athlete. So um, these guys keep coming back to campus, and and I didn't even mention Keaton Ellis, who lives on campus, basically. Uh, State college kid who I I think Penn State's probably going to be the choice in the end. We said this on the podcast earlier this week. So he's coming back. Uh, Two interesting uh, guys for me in the 2019 class. Marquise Wilson is a guy that we didn't really talk about a ton. Uh, wrote an article earlier this week on, on Lions 24-7 where Wilson is a guy that uh, you know they've they've prioritized. He's not the highest rated guy in the world. I think we have him as an 88 three-star, um, but he's a long corner. Penn State's looking for those long corners. If you compare him with Keaton Ellis, you got a pretty good corner class to start out with, and I know that those two guys are, are very high on the list. And John Olmstead, excuse me, John Olmstead, a guy that we um, we identified as, uh, you know, confirmed him coming on Thursday. Uh, Penn State's not going to have a big offensive line class in the 2019 class. So right. Olmstead's been on campus several times. Went to a game last year. Was uh, you know was up earlier this year. Uh, so you know he's got offers from Ohio State, Notre Dame, all over the place. So uh, to compete in uh, the 2019 class with the offensive line, you're going to have to look to Jersey. You're going to have to look to Virginia, some other places. Uh, uh, 
Caden Wallace is, is not coming up this weekend, but he's another guy from Jersey where they can build that offensive line class around. So uh, just the, I think just going back, the 2019 class is going to be the one that's, that's focused on from here on out. Basically no space left in the 2018 class aside yep. from some top, top targets. And uh, we didn't even mention Quantel Reigns from Aliquippa. That's what I was waiting for you to get to. That really piqued my interest because a guy who, you know, again, you mentioned Aliquippa that you just kind of booked to go to Pitt, but West Virginia, Penn State, still in the mix. Yeah, think back uh, a year ago, Quantel Reigns, at the top of the board, no-brainer take. Well, Penn State's got 23 commits right now in the 2018 class. I don't know that they can squeeze Quantel Reigns in right now. So to be in this position, it's a great position to be in, but James Franklin has said it. They're going to have to turn away some quality players, and and Reigns is a guy that you know West Virginia's there, Pitt's there, Penn State's always been there. Um, if he plays it out, you know maybe something, something comes back around, but I, I just have a difficult time seeing him in this class. He'll be here... Nonetheless, though, and ready for that football kicking off at 3.30, as we mentioned, at Beaver Stadium. Moving on to the game itself. Um, you know, we broke down Pitt months ago when I was filling time with the offseason and really took a look at them. And probably the most glaring need that Pitt had, in my mind, was going to be in their front seven. So when Penn State lines up and a Trace McSorley and Saquon Barkley and everyone who they had a year ago, now eight straight games with at least 35 points, a lot of new faces in there, and just an inherent advantage, which you see in the 21-point favorites that they're going to stand. But how well that new front seven uh, holds up for Pitt, which was okay against Youngstown State. I think you saw a lot of that inexperience as they let up you know, three touchdowns in the second half, eventually went to overtime against the Penguins. Um, it, I think will really determine whether this gets away from Pitt early or whether they hang on for a little bit and eventually Penn State pulls away. Because it's going to be up to them to handle a lot of those RPO reads when McSorley's keying on a second or third level defenders. Obviously, Barkley, they're going to be the first line of defense to get to him. And, you know, we just don't know that much about him. Connor McGovern telling us this week, yeah, they lost a lot up front. And I asked Matt Limegrover, you know, you've got familiarity with this defense from his years in Minnesota, seeing Narduzzi almost on a, a yearly basis. Now doing the same here. Again, having seen Michigan State a year ago with Penn State. You know, there is a lot of familiarity. The issue is the players are new. So that's the big thing that jumps out when you look at Penn State having the ball. Obviously, there's going to be an advantage. How big that is will depend on these new faces up front. Yeah, and I think Pitt had to replace some key parts. Tyreek Jarrett didn't have the stats. But man, he was a loaded Big side. Dude. Yeah, I mean, he was every bit of six five, probably a cheeseburger away from three sixty as well. Mm. And Ewan Price on the end it was a difference maker for them. I look at this pit defense, and I think it lacks difference makers, especially with Jordan Whitehead out of the the equation for this weekend. So I, I'm not sure where these splash plays, you know. Price was in there, uh, forced uh, one or two fumbles last year. He was he was in McSorley's ear a lot, so I'm not sure where that guy is on this defense. Uh, Dwayne Hendricks um, might be that guy. Uh, I, I just I don't think he's got the explosion. He, I think he's a good player, but I don't think he's got the explosion to to be the splash guy for them. Yeah, Penn State of course improved up front. Pitt has since declined. I think there's going to be an advantage there for Penn State, particularly on the ground. They just got greater beef. You mentioned Jarrett's out of the picture. Avante Maddox, honorable mention, all ACC corner for Pitt last year. Very aggressive player. He had a defensive pass interference, uh, you know, called against him when he was defending Mike Kosicki, you know, in the red zone last year. He's probably their best player on this side that we'll see on Saturday. Of course, Jordan Whitehead out of the equation with a suspension. He's a guy that I would look at 14. Um, and I mentioned Kosicki. He's going to be a major problem for Pitt, whether you're looking at individual matchups or just you know finding the holes in that zone, whether you're a safety or linebacker, that holds true for most anybody. But again, with the players they lost and Jordan Whitehead out of the equation, though even though he has about a foot on him, 
Like, there is no good matchup here if I'm Pitt defensively looking at number 88. Yeah, and they gave up a lot of yards to Youngstown State. Youngstown State obviously was in comeback mode, but at the same time, uh, they got beat. And, and we've we've over-talked about the wheel route, but that's going to be something that Penn State, these double moves, I mean, you can't stick with these Penn State receivers all that long. Um, you know, Penn State, or excuse me, Pitt is down to some reserves at some spots, and uh, that's that's going to be tough to to keep a lid on this offense. Now, Barkley was held to under 100 yards a year ago, only just 20 carries for him. Of course, five touchdowns was the bigger number from that day. Uh, but Pitt, defensively, you know, give them credit. They like to say they play with nine in the box because they'll bring their safeties up and count on them and run support very frequently. The problem with that is going to be play action. Now, when Penn State went play action a year ago, they got burned. You mentioned Price, of course, with the strip sack and McSorley. Then he got him on a mesh point on a, on a zone read. Um, but I think if you mentioned Penn State can hold up and pass protection and then attack them downfield with that play action, I think Pitt's in a, a world of trouble. But the other area beyond going deep, you're going to see Penn State just hammer the flats, which is exactly what they did a year ago. I mentioned it in my uh, 19 thoughts from me watching the game last year, which I know you really love that headline. Perfect. <laughs> No, fire away. No, no. It just it, it wreaked havoc on the OCD community, uh, just having 19 and not yeah. not committing to 20. But, hey, you do it's, you. It's, That's it's, what you do. It's what I had. Uh, so, lastly, you know, again, when Penn State has the ball, those flats are, are just going to be so big because it's an open spot. Any team like Pitt that plays a base quarters coverage, which basically means you've got your two safeties and your two corners all responsible for, for any vertical threat or vertical route. So, if anyone's heading upfield, they've got to drop back with them. That leaves that short area to the side, the flats, Wide open. Same thing when they go with their favorite three twos on blitzes. When you send six guys in, two are covering short areas, and then you've got three back deep. Those sides are going to be wide available. We we saw Penn State do some in practice, very you know same route combinations you saw from them last year in a variety of games. So watch out for the flats after play action. Now when hit, Pitt has the ball, um, another new offensive coordinator for the Panthers. You know you could say that in any number of years. But I was watching that game against Youngstown State. All the trades, all the shifts, all the motions, all the you know wide handoffs to Quadri Henderson, they're still the same. Yeah, I don't think you're seeing too much different. I don't know if that's a Narduzzi thing where he, you know, their offense was very successful, so why change it up? But yeah, I don't see, I don't see a different approach. And we, I got asked that in my chat today. What do you think Penn State's looking for differently? I, I don't know. I don't know what they're going to do differently. I mean, you obviously don't have James Conner, but pretty good stable of backs. You know, not not world beaters, but pretty good guys that can move the chains. Uh, and of course, Quadri Henderson is a guy that you're going to put all over the field to try and get something done, but. I don't see it. I mean, I, I have questions at tight end. Um, you know, last year they had Orndoff, who I thought was a really good player, uh, perhaps an under, underrated player. So, uh, yeah, there's there's questions all over the place. Uh, Wea had one catch last year, last week. Uh, obviously, it was a big one for them. Yeah. yeah, but they did not go to him much. I expect that to change. I expect them to try and push the ball down the field. Max Brown has a big arm. Um, I don't know. He's the most accurate guy down the field, but he's got a big arm. So we'll see if, you know, if you're Penn State, you'd like to get your hands on a couple of those, uh, those deep balls. Yeah. And you know, at this stage, Pitt held something back. I mean, a year ago against Villanova, they, they played vanilla, like, and that was purposeful. It's a week one thing, totally understood. So there will be new wrinkles, probably an entire new package that they'll unveil, uh, tomorrow. But if you're Penn State, you've got to focus on, or not so much the plays and the shifts and the motion, but the players they have left. And you mentioned Connor's gone. Also gone is an offensive line that simply bullied Penn State for the better part of the first three quarters. But eventually Penn State's defensive line rotations kicked in and they started to even that out late. But beforehand, they're just mowing up and down the field. Now they've got a couple of still good backs here with Olsen uh, and Hall 22. I like a lot from what he brought against Youngstown State. Yeah, Darren Hall's a good player. He's a good player. Uh, Weir, you mentioned, they... they Tried to go to him early against Youngstown State, who had him doubled on every deep crosser 
fly route or post that he ran, uh, which was obviously good scouting by them. He averaged 24.2 yards per catch, second in the nation a year ago. It's not bad. (laughs) It's not bad, right. But, you know, you mentioned Brown, not the most accurate. He threw often into coverage regardless. Like, the reason you could tell watching the TV copy was because the ball was going to weir anyway. And it wasn't a sense of, okay, he's a big dude. He's a fast dude. He can go up and get it. These balls are just not close. And you're looking, and he is just absolutely covered. So they'll take a lot of those shots right when they cross into midfield. It's a, it's a popular area of the field for a lot of offensive coordinators to go deep. Um, but I would look you know, right there as an area where they're going to target Wea. I think you'll see him featured, as you mentioned. Quadri Henderson, you know, they'll have some more fly sweeps, um, shallow crossers, everything they do with him. But for the most part, you know, it's a similar offense because, yes, you have a change in coordinator, but you don't want to change so much that the, the, your players are learning an entirely new system, of course, when you've got a non-conference schedule that features Penn State and then Oklahoma State next week. Yeah, it's, that's tough. That's tough back-to-back because Oklahoma State can probably put up more points than Penn State. I mean, yeah. they're, they're fantastic. How do you approach this? If you're an offensive coordinator going into, into Penn State, say how do you approach taking your shots down the field because obviously we know we know a lot of coordinators a lot of head coaches go a little bit more conservative on the road what what do you think uh, when you're an underdog like this when do you pick and choose and and, and how liberal are you with those shots downfield well i think what you've got to do is self scout you know really, really well in the offseason. And of course, as the year progresses, because what are your opponents going to look at? Well, it's your tendencies, you know, when you might take those shot plays, when you might run a trick play. And particularly in this week, do whatever you can to break out some tendency breakers. So I mentioned, you know, they crossed midfield, they went deep a couple times to Wea. I would do that before you get to midfield, because if he gets a step on someone and catches the ball, no one's going to catch him regardless. So, you know, Penn State, we didn't see a whole lot of man coverage from them uh, against Akron, but I think when you get in the kind of third to medium, third to long, they'll go to a lot of cover one um, and, and you know sometimes you'll still get some quarters and cover three but basically you just want that one-on-one matchup where somehow by route design take the attention away from that single safety up high and then just let we go up and win that ball or at least put it in a position where it'll fall incomplete so you're trying to identify when will Penn State be in those man covered situations um, and then you know you're going to try to tell Max Brown don't force it. he probably will anyway and then just deploy those deep shots in situations where you haven't yet and really didn't a year ago. Yeah. And I think that's the right way to go. Uh, you know, for being three touchdown underdogs, you got to take some shots if you're pit. And I think they'll, they'll probably do that on Saturday. And they played a little bit more wide open against Youngstown state than I expected, at least compared to, you know, how they did a year ago. Um, against Penn State and you know we forget that was an offense that averaged better than 40 points a game something Penn State did not do Matt Canada is now to LSU Uh, but I think if they're willing to you know deploy Wea maybe more in the slot you know when Penn State does does go sub or perhaps put him up against Koa Farmer or whoever might be playing the Sam position on a given drive you know there's an inherent matchup you can create just formationally you know creating all the trades and shifts bring him inside and give him an opportunity uh, to go deep or catch something over the middle last note I'll make when Pitt has the ball uh, offensive line replacing a couple of draft picks up front. Dorian Johnson, really good right guard, uh, a guard that they had a year ago. Alex Bookshire's coming back. Uh, Bookshire, a good player. We mentioned DUI in the offseason, suspended just one game. We've been through it in the pot a couple of times. He started all 13 games at right guard a year ago. I don't know if he'll go there or perhaps at center. He could even play some tackle. But at right tackle, Jared Jones Smith not a good showing against Youngstown State. And that's an area where if I'm Penn State, you know, if Sharif Miller's back or whoever's going to be there in a pass rushing down, that's an area I would certainly look to attack. And honestly could probably hold up pretty well against the run too. Yeah, Jared Jones-Smith is a Philly kid. Uh, I look to another Philly kid where Penn State could really take advantage of that, Shaka Tony. Uh, yes. It was impressive last week. He's going to try and feast on guys that are like Jones-Smith. I mean, Jones-Smith is huge. I mean, he's he's a big guy on the edge. 
you know, he came in pretty slow footed. Uh, he didn't have a great week last week. Uh, Tony is a guy that can, can, if nothing else, like he did last week, draw a holding penalty, something like that. First snap of his career. Yeah. Uh, I, and and it was funny. I told you this, my buddy texted me from the field. He said he moves like a spider and I'm like, (laughs) that's incredibly accurate. I mean, this guy is, is all over the place. So it was fun to see him, uh, step out. And I think he can be a difference maker. Uh, Pitt actually tried to get on in on him late. Uh, recruiting had hosted him for an official visit. He stuck with Penn state, uh, playing as a redshirt freshman. I, I see him being a, maybe not a difference maker over the course of the game, but he can make a few splash plays and make some things happen. Yeah, and, and this isn't to say, again, you know, we, we've talked about how much worse in our minds Pitt is. You look at last year, underwhelming win against Villanova, and then they go put up 42 on Penn State. Yes, Pitt was favored, but this is not an instance where Pitt has no shot in this game. I think they could certainly scheme up a couple of things, whether it's Henderson, whether it's we had to score some points. But when you just look at the overall big picture, this is a much more favorable situation for Penn State um, than, it, than it was a year ago. So moving on, we've done one Penn State has the ball, and we've done one Pitt has the ball. Three, two, one. We've got three matchups, two concepts, one prediction to look for. The first matchup that's really going to decide this game for you. It's huge. Tyler Davis kicking the ball off. And, you know, we don't want to look too much to uh, something as simple as a kickoff, I guess. But, man, Tyler Davis needs to get that ball in the end zone away from Quadri Henderson. He's their biggest weapon. Uh, He's obviously going to be a guy that they try to get the ball in their hands several times and Penn State's going to try that corner kick where they they get down there and try and pin him in if not get a touchback so this is a huge matchup probably bigger than a lot of people would anticipate but anytime that you can take the ball out of Henderson's hands you got to do that if you're Penn State and Tyler Davis needs to get the ball to the end zone to do that now I just touched upon this Uh, I'm looking at the right tackle spot when Pitt has the ball Jared Jones Smith up against any defensive end Penn State is going to deploy in an obvious passing down uh, or even early. Again, you know, big guy. You can see why they recruited him. A lot of raw talent there, but I just don't think it's refined enough yet, and particularly against, you know, some of their more veteran defensive ends. Ryan Buckholz looked great last week. Fantastic. You know, if he gets the opportunity, passing or running, I think there's an edge there. So that's a matchup I would look for. And to go back to Tyler Davis for a second, the other part about that is, yes, Henderson's their biggest weapon. He's probably their best player, too. So regardless of whether you think in the situation is just a kickoff, Penn State went short last year. They boomed it deep. They mixed it up on him. I think they'll do that again, and there's just no getting around Quadri Henderson because he'll be in situations where he's going to get the ball and there's nothing you can do about it, handoffs or kickoffs. So that's why we have to mention it right off the top. Uh, but yeah, defensively, I'm, I'm looking at that right tackle spot. You know, Brian O'Neill, very strong for them at left tackle. And I think Penn State's going to have an advantage there. Um, not regardless of who's at defensive end, but you know, they, they scout well enough and, and they have a good week of practice. It's, it's an area they can attack. Yeah. I, uh, the third one, Mike just is going to be a problem for Pitt. Yeah. I mean, he, he, I don't know that there's anybody that can stick with him. The linebacking core has already taken a couple of hits. Um, so to, to stick with him and you mentioned being in the flats, Penn state has gotten just the ball in the flats a lot. And you know, he has had space. Sometimes he has not had space sometimes, but if he gets going, He's tough. Yeah, Yeah, he's tough. I mean, so uh, not only you look at Jasicki as a guy that can make the big catches down the field, but he can also move the sticks for you, and and I think he's going to be a problem this week. Their third drive last year at Pitt, tight end screen, that went for 20, 30, maybe even a few more yards a year ago, um, caught him in a blitz, and I think they'll be looking to do that again because Pitt – you know, they do what they do, and a lot of that is very aggressive football, and it pays off for them. But in situations where you can catch them, you know, that's the right play call, and he's a guy who will definitely be featured. Uh, two concepts. Uh, we mentioned this earlier. The wheel route has been brought up a lot because Pitt could not defend it for its life 
and almost lost the game as a result against Youngstown State, which scored two touchdowns on wheel routes, had a big gain in the first half that was called back due to penalty. Uh, and, you know, a couple situations where they caught the Panthers in the blitz. They had some miscommunications. It's a very difficult route if you've got a back who can run it and a quarterback who can throw it. And an offensive line that can protect it. Right. And we all saw, you know, Penn State go ahead of the Big Ten Championship game on that exact route that was actually decently well covered by Wisconsin. Nonetheless, Penn State went ahead, won the title. So, obviously, if you're Pitt, you're going to expect this because you were so bad at it last week. Penn State, it's in their bag of tricks. They don't have to go to it. But I think at some point... You would just have to test them. It doesn't have to be the first quarter. It doesn't have to be the second. But it's something where, I mean, no linebacker in the country is going to have an advantage covering Saquon Barkley, and particularly not in a wheel route. Right, and and not only that, but Saquon Barkley is not only the best player on the field, he's also the best decoy on the field. So you yeah. can get him out there running that route, you're going to shake somebody else uh, deep. And and I think that's where Penn State will, you know, you can, you can play off those double moves all you want, but yeah, you're going to get Juwan Johnson or something streaking down the middle and, and, and pick up a big game because of it. Second concept, uh, play action shots to Jester Wea. We mentioned it. You know, this is a, something that Penn, or Pitt rather will go to a lot this season, as they should. He was a big downfield weapon. Penn State secondary is well aware. Still, you know, when you've got that speed at that size, you know, technique has got to save you. It's not just being aware that he can go by you. It's making sure that you stay in back of him and, and have sound technique. So I think that's the fastest way Pitt can, can prolong this game. Uh, a big score to him, obviously feeding Henderson, but those big plays are, are what will keep them in this game, and I think it'll probably come on play action. Yeah, a lot of pressure, uh, especially early in the game on the safeties this week. Uh, Troy Apke, you know, I thought he was okay last week. I didn't, you know, I didn't think he was too yeah. great, too bad, or anything like that. Marcus Allen might get his pick this week. I mean, Penn State, or excuse me, Pitt is going to air it out at times, um, and, and Allen, I think, is a guy that that can finally get that uh, interception if he's if he's on the field for as long as he is. So, uh, yeah, I mean. I think that if Pitt is going to win, this is going to be a key for them. But yeah, it's still it's still a tough ordeal. All right, we've done three matchups, two concepts. Now down to the one bold prediction. I'm going to lead off. Penn State's hitting 50 points again, man. They're they're getting it. They took their foot off the gas last weekend. They have no reason in the world to do that against Pitt. Uh, I think they're getting at least 50. How do you approach that? You know, it, it, obviously, you know, if, if you're winning in a blowout and you want to get as many guys as reps, and, and especially Tommy Stevens is is the guy that I look at that you want to get the reps for. Yeah, I think you can do that with the with the offense. You can put in the backups, but you keep running your offense. And I think, yes. to, and you can obviously have a, ca- a cop out in the pro- post game presser by saying, "Hey, we want to get these guys experience in the things that they're going to actually do." So. Yeah, I'm with you. I think Penn State can, if not top that 50, get into the upper 40s and 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 have themselves a day on offense. Oh, and yes, how do you handle this? I'll two things jump into my mind. Last year against Michigan State, that's a revenge game. Okay, and two head coaches. I think it's but it's well known. no different than every other. <laughs> okay, well they run up the score. That was plainly obvious. They won. I think it was 45 to 12. Um, in order to make a statement, they go into the Big Ten championship game. The year before, they had lost badly, and Michigan State gave it to one of their offensive linemen rushing a touchdown. So knowing this is, again, similar revenge aspect, I think Penn State will pour it on. Secondly, Franklin's well aware that they need to make a statement in the conference throughout the course of the year. That doesn't mean running up the score in every single game. It doesn't mean being unsportsmanlike. But finishing so close to the college football playoff a year ago and saying, what could we have done better? Well, it's really just these larger margin of victories. Because if you're going to win every game, then it comes down to how did you do it? And I think Penn State wants to be rewarded for playing as well as it, as it can. And we hear so much about the standard now that they're so focused on meeting. What that means is meeting that through four quarters. Regardless of who's out there, you mentioned it could be Tommy Stevens, but they want to put up 
points. They want to put up a lot of points and, and make the statement that this year we belong. And you don't do that by kind of playing it safe in the fourth quarter. And not only that, Penn State put up 39 against this defense last year, a better pit defense, a, yeah. and a Penn State offense in which Trace McSorley was not making the right decisions at this point, at yeah. this point in the season. Uh, on their base plays. Yeah. And, and the strides that they have made and the steps that Pitt has taken uh, backwards because of their injuries, suspensions, draft, whatever. Uh, yeah, I, I th- I'm right there with you. I think Penn State can top 50 again this week, and I think that's the the goal. I mean, they, yeah. I mean, they want to say how the, similar this game is to everyone else. They were embarrassed last year. They want to come out and make a statement. I think they can do that. What's your? Are you just going to ride on, on my prediction? You I can ride on your prediction, but I can also say that Saquon Barkley scored five touchdowns last year in this Don't game. Don't say six. No, I'm going to say five. Okay, I'm going to say okay. he can equal that. I mean, wow. think about that. If if he ends yeah. his career playing pit twice with ten touchdowns, that's something. But hey, hashtag what Happy Valley Heisman uh, launched yeah, this true. week. Uh, uh, Penn State's going to do everything they can to boost those numbers. You saw if you open that site that they made. You talked to all-purpose yards. You weren't talking rushing yards, receiving yards, or total offense. All-purpose yards. They got him back there receiving yeah. a kick. So and he's going to return a kick this week, no doubt. Yeah, I think so. And 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 I don't think. Uh, I don't think they're going to hold him back from, you know, I, I, it's tough to say that somebody's going to score five touchdowns in a game, but, but you just Penn did. State's going to, <laughs> Penn State is going to do everything they can to market this guy. He's obviously a guy that, uh, you know, is, is on the national scene. So yeah. I think he's going to get five touchdowns and, and I don't think that he makes it look particularly difficult either. No, no. All right. 15 and five. I heard it here first. So we will wrap up as I, uh, renege on my lone spokesman, uh, spokes, yeah, spokesman, uh, bid I wanted to make at the outset of this. Two questions. Uh, first, last year, Pitt sold out to stop the run, so all our or Penn State's yardage was through the air. Do you think we see a repeat? Um, I, I mentioned this midway through the podcast. Pitt's defense is structured so that they can get nine men in the box. Safeties are often very engaged. You'll often find them within 10 yards of the line of scrimmage on, on first and 10. I wouldn't say they sold out, um, but I think you do see, you know, again, Penn State attacks successfully through the air, and it's because of the matchups that we just mentioned. Mike Kosicki is going to be a huge problem. Structurally, Penn State knows what Pitt wants to do, and they attack it very well. They did so against Michigan State. That's how they beat the Spartans. It wasn't so much on the ground because they had the same scheme and same tactics, but they just had big plays behind them. So uh, I think you'll probably see more of an even split, kind of a la Akron, last week, but you know, initially it, it will be more through the year than we saw with Barkley because again, if you're a Penn State opponent and you have to pick your poison, stopping number twenty six is gotta be your first order of business. Yeah, absolutely. And you said it exactly. Pick your poison. Um I think they will the way that their defense is schemed is is to take away someone like Barkley and you know, I don't know if they could do that, but uh it certainly has to bleed the emphasis. Last question. Uh, I hate to ask this, but what would Pitt need to do to pull an upset? Well, I think this is quite simple. Um, you're going to need a special teams touchdown from Quandry Henderson. Punt return, kick return, it's got to happen. I think we is going to have to break deep, as we mentioned a couple of times on play action. And you're going to need at least two turnovers. Yeah. So, you know, again, I'll amend that slightly. Special teams last year was a, was a big thing. Remember the last touchdown pitch score was set up by an 84-yard kick return by Henderson. It didn't quite get there. But when you're dropping your offense inside the 20 to start a drive, they're going to find some points. So Henderson has to lead to a couple of touchdowns by himself. We have scores, and then you got to force at least two turnovers. Yeah, Henderson and turnovers is, is right there with me. Uh, he, he can change the game. He, he's a guy that they're going to over-prepare for, and they probably should because – um, you're looking looking across that offense. He's the guy that's going to hurt you the most, no doubt. Um, turnovers, 
they got a couple last year and they got the momentum in the first half. And obviously, you know, as a Penn State fan, you're looking at it like, hey, what's going on here? So right. um, if they can do that again, they've got a shot. They completely took Clemson out of the game last year, out of their own game. And and it's going to have to be something like that. They got to slow the pace. They got to keep the ball, um, hold possession for a while. So three touchdown underdog, it's tough to say, you know, how, how they can actually win this game. But at the same time, uh, the, the possibility is there. Pitt, Pitt, I mean, Pitt is not chopped liver. I mean, they're, no, they're a no, team no. that is going to do okay in the ACC. They're not, I don't think this is their year by any stretch of the imagination, but you know, they, they've got some talent in the spots and, and you know, Penn state, I just think unfortunately for them, uh, has more talent in those spots. And I think where they dropped off from a year ago were in areas that you can't afford to be deficient against Penn State. We yeah. mentioned the front seven. Um, Avante Maddox, a good corner, but that secondary lost some parts. And again, with this offense, you, you need to be sound pretty much across the board or they're going to find your weak spot and just hammer away. While, of course, doing what they do, uh, which, again, you know, tying back to a conversation we have with Matt Lemko, where he said, listen, they execute and they do what they do. We need to just out-execute them at what we do best. And I think you'll see that. But, I mean, they've got a playbook that contains answers to almost everything. So yeah. that's, again, what makes them so dangerous. And, and, right. like, and like any team, if Penn State can get pressure with four up front. Oh, yeah. They're they're gonna be set. They're yeah. gonna be set. Okay, final score. What you got? Fifty five twenty one. I was on the fence about the fifty, and then you made your prediction, and you, <laughs> you pulled me onto the dark side. Yeah, Penn State. I think is shooting for at least fifty. Um, they've yeah. got the weapons to do it. Pitt has you know holes in their defense, especially with Whitehead out of there. So uh, yeah, I think they can get it. I think it can be a fun afternoon for them on, on the offensive side of the ball. Yeah, I believe Penn or Penn State will win. Obviously, I believe Pitt could certainly hang around. I think they can make this competitive. Um, and you know, in some different universe, they win this game. But in this universe, this is going to be a bloodbath. It is going to be fifty-two to twenty, and I think one of those scores for Pitt is going to come late. But Penn State has been gearing up for this game, whether they say it or not. They have matchup advantages across the board, and you, you're right. Pitt, Pitt is a tough team. They're not chopped liver, but right now this is just the wrong spot for them, and we see Penn State score 50 points for the second straight week. I think it's uh, I think it's a pretty solid prediction, and you hate to go out and say a team's going to put up 50, especially against a, an FBS uh, Power 5 opponent, but man, the potential, you got to be drooling if you're Joe Moorhead right now. Yeah. Well, I'm drooling because it's finally here, and we can stop talking about all the... Uh, yeah, it's <laughs> the, about time. It's different or it's not. It just It's here, and uh, it's going to be a lot of fun. So thanks for listening. As always, we'll be back on Monday with a full game breakdown of Pitt and Penn State. Looking ahead to Georgia State. Get hype! And uh, we'll move on as we close into the non-conference schedule. As always, this has been Sean Fitz and Andrew Callahan for Lions 24-7 Podcast.